records Smell the cover, read all the verses Tell me about your favorites on vinyl and vision Hello folks, welcome to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision, episode 113. Today's very special guest is Blake Bickle. Blake is the guitarist and singer for the band Bronson Arm from Kalamazoo, Michigan. What you're listening to is the first track off of their brand new self-titled debut album on Learning Curve Records. It's Pleasure Brea. At the end of the episode, I'll include a short clip of another song called Drain the Coffers. Blake is joining me today to discuss an album that he considers influential to him, important to him in some sense, and uh, in the development of his musical tastes and career. Um, the album he chose was Melvin's Houdini, uh, the Melvin's fifth studio album and their major label debut, uh, released in 1993. It's a great album. Um, I'm sure there's tons of people that really love it, and I'm sure there's tons of people that also consider it incredibly influential. Um, I think it's a great album. I've taken a lot of pleasure in getting to know it uh, deeply, and more deeply than I've known it in the past. I have uh, considered myself a uh, mediocre Melvin's fan. I like some of their albums. I don't like everything they've made. I haven't really listened to everything they've made, because there's a shit ton. But, um, but Bronson Arm is a great band, a uh, great new band. They have, uh, you know, if you check their discography out, they have a few singles out, and then, uh, and then this new self-titled full-length album on Learning Curve Records, which is available for vinyl purchases, and the splattered color vinyl looks awesome. I do actually have to pick that up myself, and um, they will be doing some shows. Uh, I know that they are listed as one of the acts for Catawall Festival this year, which is very cool. And um, other than that, I mean, they'll probably be making a round somewhere around the Midwest, uh, possibly out east. We don't know for sure yet, but uh, the dates will be coming up soon, I'm sure. And uh, if you'd like to follow them, I'll provide links in the show notes to pick up that vinyl and uh, to follow them on social media so you can find out updates. Um, All that we ask that you do here at Vinyl and Vision is please like, share, subscribe, comment, rate, review, all those things you do with the internet. They all help out uh, immensely, and they cost you nothing. If you do care to help us out in a more financial way, you can always visit our website, psychicstatic.net. Any purchase you make there goes towards funding this show. There's plenty of records out there and other releases that we've put out, uh, that Psychic Static has put out. And uh, including a new Narnia album, which is uh, in the works. It's almost ready to be posted. So please follow us on social medias, Bandcamp, and stuff like that. And uh, you'll get the latest information on that release that is soon soon to be available. Uh, thank you very much, folks. Enjoy. Hi, Blake Bickle. How are you? I'm doing well. Yourself? Doing okay. I said that right. Was that the correct pronunciation? You nailed it. Okay, good. Good. So what's going on with you, huh? Oh, not much. Getting over a gnarly cold. Oh, yeah? Okay. So voice is extra deep today and all hmm. week. Okay. 
Well, it sounds, sounds good to me. <laughs> where, where are you right now? Uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Okay. But uh, what, where room are you? Are you, what room are you in? Because uh, I just oh. see this beautiful backdrop to, to you. Uh, this is my uh, mastering studio. I do audio mastering. Oh, okay. Great. I find it's the quietest, most peaceful room in the house. So, oh, okay, and it's in your house. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually inside my house today. I usually am out in the shed, which is back there outside, but it's freezing cold right now. So I figured <laughs> might as well just try to stay inside today. Yeah, yeah. There's no point in torturing yourself. All right. With all those things out of the way, we can get we can get down to business, I guess. So, I, can I just start by saying that I, I really love your record, the new one? Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, I kind of knew right away, as soon as I heard the first single off of it, that I was going to like the album when I could hear the whole thing, and then I finally heard the whole thing, and I was just like, I'm right. Yeah, it's good. Wonderful. I'd like to hear that. Thank you very much. No, no problem. Um, and you guys are like loud as fuck, right, when you play live? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty loud. I mean, I like to think that it's more about pushing air and like feeling the sound versus like sheer decibel. Mm -hmm. um, and we definitely get a lot of comments from people saying that we're, we're loud and heavy, but not that distorted. Um, mm. And I, I think pretty, I, I think we're pretty distorted, but we do, I do hear a lot of feedback from people saying that, we're surprisingly clean and articulate, at least with the you know the guitar tones and whatnot. But for hmm. me, I, I just it's important to really uh, to feel the sound, so it sure. ends up being kind of loud. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting. I mean, like typically, whenever something gets incredibly loud, it tends to distort no matter what. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that your band can retain its kind of clarity even through like you know loud volume yeah yeah i just go with really big amplifiers and really big cabinets but I'd, i'm not pushing the amplifiers to their you know maximum capacity hmm. they're usually around 50 percent of kind of what they could do um hmm. you know i think being a audio mastering engineer i'm really particular about gain staging and and dynamics and articulation so yes we have fun with that and experiment a lot yeah yeah it makes sense yeah um so now i uh, invited you on here tonight to speak about an album that was important to you and um i kind of want to i want to make a huge assumption i'm assuming we're around the same age uh how old I, i'm 43 yeah pretty much i'm yeah i'm 40 I think I'm 45 this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, because I was wondering, based on the album of choice, the album you chose, uh, Melvin's Houdini, it kind of seems like like a Melvin's novice choice. Like, was that your introduction point? It, exactly. Yeah. That was that was the first record that introduced me into the Melvins, and um, you know, I've been a fan and listen to all their stuff but that one you know whether it's a nostalgia thing or a sentimental thing that one is just 
always hung around, um, always been on, you know, rotation and something I draw upon for almost every band I've, I've been in, in to some degree, depending mm-hmm. on what it is. But, um, yeah. And when did you get turned like, down to it? Do you think? I think when I was, I was doing the math this morning, uh, when I was, I think, I think I would have been 15. I heard a Melvin song on a, a snowboard video. Cause um, I grew up <clears throat> in the country in Idaho Falls, Idaho. And there was not, uh, there was not a lot of music. There was not a lot of alternative music going around and the, you know, music stores and record stores definitely did not carry that type of music. So hmm. kind of all the music that I was learning about that was different from what was on the radio was coming from skateboard and snowboard videos. Hmm. Yeah. That seems so, very typical for, for a lot of punkers. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so 93 is when the album came out and I guess, so it was probably around that same time. Yeah. Probably would have been fall of 93 if I had to guess. Okay. And, um, so how are you, uh, about the Melvins now? Like, like, are you a consummate, uh, fan or, or, is that kind of the one thing you like? Oh, I, I love everything they've put out. You know, there's certain things I am drawn more towards less than others, but I can enjoy everything they've done. And I think just being a fan and amazed by their, um, how prolific they've been and hmm. have been able to just keep doing it, keep being creative and, you know, reinvent themselves. And, uh, so in general, that's, that's very inspiring. I think it's common for a lot of musicians who've been playing heavy music for a long time at a certain point to tone it down a bit. And they absolutely have not done that. And I think that's, that's refreshing. It's, yeah, that's what they have inside them. That's, that's what, gets them excited and it still gets them excited and you know it's it's just a it's just a blast i love seeing them live okay oh so you've seen them live a number of times i imagine yeah yeah it's it's one of those things where i don't necessarily catch them every time they've you know i've had the opportunity just because maybe i've seen them maybe six or seven times and the last few times i saw them were so unbelievable believably good such a great experience it's like i don't want want to like leave that kind of kind of want to leave that at, at, at the peak and and you know but right i'm still gonna go see them i'm just you know yeah you kind of have to them. right i mean that's that's the problem with that band like being so prolific and and always kind of just continuing doing what they do and and at at you know a breakneck pace as well you know constantly putting out records yeah. constantly on tour it's like if like their audience I, I almost feel like their audience might get fatigued at some point it could but you know i'm definitely due up to catch them again it's been a been a few years and um yeah you know, like i said they, they just <clears throat> they just don't stop they keep on putting out keep putting out music that's interesting and you know it's like there's there's common threads to like what they're doing now to what they did say on Houdini, but it's, it's evolved, it's changed. And it's, it's, it's really fun to find those parallels and 
the differences and uh, they're great. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now you were saying how you were growing up in Idaho. Where, where... Yeah, that's where uh, from the age like maybe nine to 16, I was in Idaho Falls, Idaho. And that was a, you know, at the time for me was a, was a culture shock for sure. But um, that's where I learned and got into a lot of different music um, yeah. that I still listen to today. Okay. Uh, so nine yeah. to 15. So where did you go come from? Uh, the East coast, um, Glastonbury, Connecticut. Oh, okay. Then after Idaho, uh, I moved to San Diego with my parents hmm. and then bounced the West coast for a while. Then Salt Lake city, Utah, back to California, Missoula, Montana, Seattle. And now I live in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yeah. Okay. So why was the family moving around so much? Um, just my dad did, um, consulting work for, uh, different, uh, nuclear power companies doing engineering. Um, hmm. and he followed where the contracts were. So, oh, okay. Um, uh, after California, that that's where, you know, when I finished high school and I moved to Salt Lake on my own and then back to San Diego and then to Montana then Seattle. I spent a good, almost a little over a decade in Seattle. Hmm. And then maybe four years ago, I moved here to Kalamazoo, Michigan with my family. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now you guys were moving around a lot, but I mean, what was, uh, like, what were your memories of like music, like in the house? My parents listened to a lot of classical music. Hmm. Um, okay. If it was rock and roll or, or, or pop music, it would be like the Beatles or Elton John or uh, Jim Croce. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, and, and I didn't have any older siblings. I have two younger sisters. So music was usually, you know, things I was learning about was usually coming from maybe friends, older siblings, or skateboard and snowboard videos. Yeah. Um, and uh, definitely remember at times, you know, ordering stuff out of backs of catalogs to try and get new music. Uh, and thank God for cassette decks. Definitely duped a lot of tapes when oh, yeah. a friend would get their hand on something, make copies and uh, and mix tapes and whatnot. Yeah. So, so what was the like uh, turning point? What 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 like spawned your interest in like finding your own music and like and what were you kind of getting into? I mean, I, I li listened and was moved by a, a lot of different types of music you know when i was really young i remember discovering the doors which you know were a you know would be on like a classic rock radio station but not as much as a lot of other things uh, and then it turned into guns and roses 
Hmm. And then uh, I knew a girl that turned me on to the Smashing Pumpkins maybe like three years before they kind of blew up. Okay. So I was, I was really hooked on when, when Gish came out that, that blew my mind. I think I wore through many copies of that tape. Um, again, through snowboard videos, I got into uh, the band tool, okay. which I like their early stuff. Um, but that was, uh, that first album, Opiate, was the first album that I remember listening to and in getting physical chills down my spine, hmm. um, which was new new to me, you know. Um, and then from there, it just kind of went into a lot of punk, got way into Fugazi and the Dead Kennedys. Oh, yeah. Um, and around that time, you know, the Melvins. Right, ninety three ish. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I was actually wondering, like, when I was uh, making that huge assumption about your your uh, musical choice, you know, uh, Melvin's Houdini, I was wondering if it came through the the connection of Nirvana. No, not for me. I heard. I mean, yeah, I guess I would have heard Nirvana before I heard the Melvins, but it was um, for me, it was just something totally different. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't aware of any, um, you know, indirect connection between them till years and years and later. But, um, but yeah, when I heard the Melvins, it just, uh, it was a, it was a game changer. Um, I remember thinking that, that it was weird. It definitely didn't sound like anything I'd heard that it sounded really dark. Mm-hmm. and sinister but there was a playfulness about it it sounded you know it sounded fucking evil but also sounded like they would have a smirk while they were performing it yeah. and um and uh yeah i remember hearing some of the first tracks that really got me hooked and and thinking that it sounded like I, I could hear metal influences and um, and I'd heard a lot of metal beforehand, but none of it had really uh, caught my attention or grabbed me. It just wasn't, wasn't my thing, but there was aspects about the Melvins that in my head, I was like, Oh, that's, that's, that's kind of metal, but not, but I really like it. Hmm. So, Let's see. So your youth moving around a lot, finally get introduced to the Melvins. You think it's weird. You think it's even kind of demon, demonic sounding. Um, so wait, so this is the first record you heard. Is there any other Melvins record that you think, like, because when you made this choice, I assume yeah. maybe Melvins came to mind, but then there's so many albums to choose from. Was this more of like yeah. a nostalgic choice or was it because you think it's their best record? That's a good question. Um, I think probably probably nostalgia because mm. it 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 just hit really hard and just made a really lasting impression on me. And there are other albums of theirs that have equally impacted me and 
just just as strong, if not stronger. You know, I love some of the other ones that immediately uh, come to mind are Stoner Witch, uh, Gooey Porch Treatments, uh, Senile Animals. There's so many, and yeah. they're they're all good. There was just something about you know, I, I reckon it is probably the nostalgia. I mean, on top of that, there's a handful of songs off there that just are my favorite in their repertoire, you know? Mm -hmm. So again, as I said, like it's, it's one that I've listened to so many times. And and when I've started bands with somebody who isn't familiar with the Melvins, that's the one I turn them on to where I'm like, check this one out. Right. Check out this song. You know, these are, you know, I'll point out different aspects of things that, that I like about it and, you know, just drawing up inspiration and kind of reference points. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, 1993, when this comes out, this is your introduction to them. Were you already like a musician? Were you already considering writing music or? That's a good question. I, I was not, not really. I mean, I played, my parents got me into, uh, the cello oh wow they asked they asked me what i wanted to play and i told them i wanted to play drums <laughs> they said no way and mm-hmm. then they're like well, what I was like, okay guitar and they're like no and they're like well and then they're like well it's got to be a classical instrument that's the program at the school right what do you want i was like i want to play the upright bass and they're like that's too big it's like twice the size as you how about a cello and i was like this sounds good. Let's do that. Yeah. And um, I did really enjoy it, but um, you know, I uh, I'm a bit dyslexic and on the spectrum. And uh, reading the sheet music was my brain just really did not work that way. Not not in a fluid sense. Anyway, I I, I played the cello for a few years, but um. It wasn't it wasn't vibing when it came time to performances like I would just memorize the pieces versus line by line reading the notes on the sheet music. So I I, I gave that up and got way into skateboarding. <laughs> but okay. um but I, I I picked up the bass guitar I want to say when I was 19. Okay. So Already out of the house by that point. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um you know, by the time I was 20, I was, um, you know, starting up punk bands with friends in the basement and whatnot. Right. Okay. And so, so that was the, the launching point of your musical career. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Wow. So yeah, so a lot of time between when, when you kind of got exposed to this, to, uh, getting into writing music, uh, and punk music, you say, I mean, kind of along these lines or did you kind of get into something prior as far as when i first started playing in bands like the first kind of songs you'd write yeah they were they were generally pretty punk punk stuff okay or neil young-esque kind of stuff but okay maybe i mean it was it was rock but um at the time i was way and still am into Neil Young. So, um, but the first bands where I was writing songs with groups of people were, were definitely punk. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, weird all punk. over the map. Odd stuff. Like it's always been trying to push the envelope. Always trying to get weird, heavy. I mean, just trying to do something that felt different and fun and exciting. You know, like I think the first punk band I played, and we were just as much collectively as a group into like Fugazi and the Dead Kennedys as we were Ween. Hmm. Okay. So just kind of having fun and just, yeah, just having fun, keeping it weird, having fun, trying to just do different stuff and not, you know, edit ourselves too much. Yeah. And so when did you uh, pick up the guitar? I mean, as soon as I got into the bass guitar, within months I was like, I need to, like, I'm, I'm sold. I want to do any and everything I can with this. So I, you know, acquired an acoustic guitar, like bought a drum kit, a used drum kit and just wanted to just learn everything about all of it. But um, at the time was mainly passionate about bass guitar and, and in my head always wanted to be the drummer, but um, you know, didn't have the chops. So, yeah. but um, eventually did start playing drums in some different bands. And then uh, a few years ago, went back to bass. And then for this project that I play in now, uh, play baritone guitar. Yeah, right. But, Is it your, your first time playing baritone? Yes. And the first time playing guitar or baritone guitar in a band. So I played it, but, you know, it was always just messing around. Oh, weird. Okay. Writing. Interesting. And so was it, was it by choice that you kind of, uh, you know, developed a two piece just, uh, you and, uh, Garrett is your drummer. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. It was like the last few bands I had played in were two pieces, um, just out of necessity. Uh, the last band I was in in Seattle was called the great goddamn. And I played bass and a friend, uh, played drums and that was intentionally a two piece because I wanted the low heaviness and in my mind I wanted the really fuzzed out tones and I felt that corded tones with fuzz just sounded really muddy hmm. but that single notes with a lot of fuzz cranked out had a lot of really cool textures so I figured bass would be a good instrument to do that with um, and I maybe would have done it again when I started Bronson Arm with with Garrett, but um, was feeling that I wanted to get into some higher registers and and cover a wider sonic territory that you know something more than the bass guitar would allow, but a regular guitar just on the opposite end of the spectrum didn't have enough low end. Right. So yeah, that's a that's I, a conundrum, huh? I mean, for for the two pieces, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, and I and I know you know them, uh, Bedtime Magic, which is just what you were describing oh, yeah. bass and drums yeah yeah and, yeah and, and nicholas has such a such an overdriven bass i mean like and he does some some kind of corded uh strumming it seems but yeah i mean like i i don't it works it works somehow you know yeah exactly and if it's the right two people 
you I mean, you figure it out. And being in a two piece, you definitely it affects how you write the song. You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. there's certain things that just won't work or don't work as well. So it it it, it informs what you write and how you write. Sure. And there's only one other person to bounce the idea off of. So if they don't like it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, heard, I was listening to an interview the other day where someone was saying they missed having a third person to break all the arguments. But yeah, uh, it's not great being that person, I don't think. Because, you know, how, how do you grease their, their, their palm a little bit? You know, be like, hey, come on. Oh, this idea is good. Come yeah. on. Don't you? I'll pay you a little extra yeah. this gig. <laughs> no, I mean, lucky for us, uh, Garrett and I, we don't actually argue that much. And, you know, it's a, it's a give and take. Right. Um, I'm going back to the Melvins for a minute. Have you ever met them? Yeah. You ever play with them? Uh, not in person, no. Oh, okay. I was just curious. They seem like really sweet guys. Uh, you know, Dale and Buzz for the most part. I mean, the bass player seems to always be changing. They do. They do. They do seem very approachable. I did meet uh, Cody Willis um, when they were when, uh, when Big Business was part of the Melvins. Oh, okay. Um, super nice guy. Yeah. Super nice guy. Great. Um, well, it's always good to know. I always like to to know that the that the bands are are good people, friendly. Yeah. Yeah, it helps. All right. So we well, we still should tackle this record a little bit. Um, sure. So the first song is Hooch. And it's going to be a great little kind of uh, segue into not only talking about this record, but talking about your band as well. Um, what I have here is a quote. It says, uh, begins with a Bonham-esque clatter that simmers down to a single kick drum before the voice and guitar enter. <clears throat> the two tom hits that punctuate Osborne's first two lines feel as crucial to the song's meaning as anything out of the singer's mouth. Uh, another quote from Buzz: If the drums were different, the song wouldn't be as good. Osborne admits uh, it's effective because of the dynamics of the way the drummer plays. That's also totally. a quote. That's also a quote from Buzz. Um, do you think about Bronson Arm the same way? Uh, definitely. I mean, there's parts where you know we want the drums to kind of take the focus for a minute and I'll pull back or just get some feedback going and then, you know, contrast that by then driving things together and getting kind of a push and pull tension between the elements. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's critical for sure. Yeah. And how did, and uh, how did you find Garrett? We just met at a, like a barbecue for our kids, like elementary school type function thing. Okay. And uh, he was the only father that had tattoos. So uh, struck up a conversation with him. You naturally gravitated to the weird guy? A little bit. <laughs> I mean, you know. But uh, I told him I played music and he told me that he played drums before he joined the navy and he literally just uh, left the navy um 
and was returning back to civilian life. Um, yeah, and I was okay. like, well, shit, you should go to my house and we'll get some beers and make some noise in my basement. And um, it just took off from there. Wow. That's, that's uh, fortunate, right? Find such a good drummer, uh, right? Kind of out of, out of nowhere. Not at all what I was expecting because it, it was in my memory. I want to say it was like a month after I moved my family here. So, um, like, literally did not know anybody in town. Uh, and in my head, was I, I knew I would play music and be in bands and, and do things, but um, I didn't know I'd find something and get it going within a month of living in town you know yeah yeah right i mean sometimes it can take forever even if you are like a local yeah yeah absolutely so you know when we started out we were just really had no long range vision for it it was just like let's just have fun and write songs and fuck around and maybe we'll play out sometime and then it just just kept on rolling forward so yeah, well, that's great. We had some good momentum. Yeah. Um, let, let's move on to the next song, Night Goat. I love that song. That song, just, there's something about the, when the guitars come in with that main kind of two-note rhythm section, It to my ears, it sounds like a symphony. It sounds like just this evil, sinister, Wall of Sound Symphony. Um, hmm. I'm definitely obsessed with that song. Okay, yeah, it's definitely one of their best. I think it's probably one of the most sought after and requested songs. Yeah, definitely one of the stronger ones on the album, for sure. Okay. So there's but, not much uh, I can mention about this song. I actually, you know, I, I research these albums pretty thoroughly when I when I have to talk about them. And uh, this was a difficult re record, really. Um, you know, I mean... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I got a lot of Buzz's take on the record. He basically talked about this record very recently for the 30th anniversary. Uh, so most of what I have here is based on that interview of his. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, not much. He didn't have much to say about this song, except for it's a great one. Really enjoys playing it. Um, it's definitely become a staple of their set. But it was originally recorded as a single for Amrep before, and then they put it on this record for Atlantic. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I think that's one of the things I really enjoy about the Melvins is, is that, you know, I think I've, I've heard him say it in different interviews where it's like, and I feel the same way about my art where it's like, I don't want to explain everything. I don't want every little detail spelled out. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that interpretation is left to the listener to you know pull their own conclusions about what it is and make their own decisions about what it means to them um oh yeah that's right. just across all their work and i really appreciate i agree i agree completely um so i won't i won't do, dig too deep into your own songs either at this point but <laughs> but um <laughs> But but for this song, I mean, so because they originally released it for for Amrep as a single, uh, I heard that the first five songs of your new full length were actually previously released as well. 
Yeah. Can yeah. You tell, we, can you tell me about that and, and like why, why that was? Well, we had started, um, we'd start building a set to play out and um, we played, you know, like a house, like a DIY house show here in town. And uh, right after, you know, had a really strong response, a lot of invitations and kind of future bookings laid out off of that performance and then like a week later covid hit hmm. and we were like well fuck what should we do we should still you know we wanted to still we knew it was going to be a while till we were out playing but wanted to stay productive and i'm a audio engineer and have stuff set up here in my house so um we decided to start recording our stuff and um the songs that are on this release the the full-length release were all written at the same time but we started recording them and then we kind of got halfway through and just felt antsy to start sharing stuff didn't feel like we wanted to just drop an album and so we just started sharing a couple singles just to, I don't know, let people know that we existed and that right. we were out there and stay relevant as things, you know, book some stuff based off of what was out there. Cause we obviously had not played outside of our town. Um, and then, um, yeah, when the opportunity, when we started talking with um, learning curve records about putting something out, we were like, well, we have like a bunch more material that, was done at the same time as what we've already kind of sprinkled out there a little bit. Um, maybe we just do that because they're, you know, there's a cohesiveness to them, you know, not, not only in the recording style and, and, and everything, but you know, where we were when we wrote them. So that's, uh, that's why we did it that way. Cause um, it's kind of a, you know, re relatively cohesive body of work written at the same time recorded at basically the same time and probably how we would have put it out had we been given the opportunity you know yeah okay cool um let's move on to the next song lizzie yeah this is another another great one uh so starts off as like an acoustic number so a little different vibe than the typical melvin's fair huh yeah really thin um you know cleaner mellower guitar kind of churning sounds um which i think make the vocals just really pop you know hmm. they really jump forward in their their uh, sinister presence um and i love that it kind of sways back and forth through these heavier passages and then kicking it back down to this mellow dirgy sound um, i love that back and forth it shakes you a little bit you know what i mean yeah well it's like the extremes from the from the quiet to loud right yeah because if it's you know if it's just loud all the time you become desensitized to it so i think they they pulled that off very well and, and you know placement within the album it's a you know it's like the first few songs are pretty 
pretty full on. And then, you know, third song and you get to kind of catch your breath for a second, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, Buzz says that it, uh, it has a Rolling Stones feel to it. Uh, he also says that he's a little suspicious of anyone who doesn't like the Stones. So, uh, <laughs> so what side? What side are you on, man? Oh, I think the Stones are fucking great, and I like the Beatles. Oh, okay. You can't do both of those equally, though. <laughs> why not? Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I don't know why people have kind of, you know, kind of made that line. Uh, I, I like both too, though I do admit that i probably like the beatles more than i like the stones i own more of the beatles records than i do the stones hmm. but the ones of the stones that i own are just are fucking mind-blowing i mean it's it's like it's two different it's two different things right they're, they're two bands in the same era but they're 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 two totally different vibes and they got a lot of the similar attention and, you know, you know, I'm sure at the time there was, um, you know, some sort of rivalry or something between them, but they're, they're totally different things. And I fucking love them both. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I mean, like, it's just, it, it, it all depends on what you, what you feel at the moment, I think. Cause I mean, you're right where they're just two different completely different bands really i mean i don't know why people pin them together like that being like you know you have to pick one or the other um because sometimes <laughs> you really like to party and if you're gonna put like you no one's gonna put a beatles album on for a party for the most part like the stones are a party band yeah you can rock out to the beatles but it's not really party music not like low down dirty party music like but I said Helter Skelter fucking rocks. But, yeah, but see, that's a banger, but it's not like a party song. Yeah, that's, you know, that was their outlier song on that record. But hmm. Well, so then going into another kind of like uh, almost controversial topic is the, the cover of Going Blind. Yeah. Um, to be honest, um, for years, I hated that song. And... <laughs> when I was listening to the record would fast forward it or skip it or just it's not a fan um, okay. but I would say over the last seven years I fucking dig it it's like it took me a while to get it mm -hmm. and now I have an appreciation for it um, I think at first it just the unique things about the Melvins and their songwriting style was what was getting me fucking pumped. And then that song came on, you know, that song would hit and it's very vocal centric. Hmm. The structure's more traditional, you know, almost, almost ballad-esque in certain ways. And that just turned me off at the time. Mm -hmm. so this is, you know, this is what I'm here for. <laughs> right. But it does, you know, it does not, it doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah. Like at all. Well, uh, were, you, were you ever a Kiss fan? No, that was, 
That was before my time. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, of course, was aware and have listened to them. You know, for me, listening to what Kiss brought to the table, since it was kind of before my time, it's out of context. I think had I been aware and into music when it was coming out, I would have felt very differently because they were at the time doing something very different and, and exciting at the time. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, I never got into them either. I mean, like you said, it was before my time, so I still don't really want to get into those records. The theatrics are a bit much for me, so. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know. I can listen to that song now and be like, fuck, that's a pretty fucking good song. Yeah, I mean, they definitely brought attention to it and, and kind of show it to be a good song, you know? Um it can be and uh you know just as much of a rocker as as any other song in in the melvin's catalog really um it, it is a little poppy yeah. little poppy for them but that's okay you know because it's a, it's okay i mean melvin's uh, uh you know notoriously are kind of like pinned as this sludge band and you know i mean they they say it themselves just like we're we're so much more than that and like if you anyone that says that is just a, a complete idiot that doesn't listen to the music <laughs> yeah yeah um well let's move on to the next song honey bucket hell yeah yeah so, so i mean especially especially following uh going behind it just fucking tears back into what they do just you know just recklessly unapologetically just full throttle love yeah. that song yeah yeah this is definitely one of my favorites um this, this is, is the big single right probably yeah i mean pro probably okay um but this is one of the songs when i was younger and you know the first time i really sat down and, and listened to the record where I hadn't heard anything like it and still had not been exposed to all that was out there music and in genre wise but in my head i was like oh shit this is metal hmm. like this is in my head i was like i think i think this is like fucking ripping tear open a can of budweiser <laughs> slam it you know jump around metal but not you know, I, I knew it wasn't because I'd listened to things like, you know, some of the early Metallica records that had some things that interested me, but but not as a not as a whole didn't re didn't really grab me. But this, I was like, I can hear things that in my brain I would categorize as metal esque. You know, with mm. like um, kind of the, you know sharp stops and cymbal grabs and, and shifts in 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 the cadence um and just fast as hell um this was a you know a really exciting song for me it was like it was like if i was into metal this would be the kind of metal that i would be into sure yeah it's great great song um i have a little bit of a long uh quote here to read um so it says, the second riff is something I always liked. Riffage with an almost 
funky backbeat, which is what ZZ Top are like at their best. Always having an impenetrable groove that has more swing is undeniably good and massively sexy, says Buzz. That, that second riff is what sells it. That riff is so good. One of the best I've ever written. End quote. Nice. Yeah. What, um, so with that being said, what track are you most excited about on your new album? <clears throat> One of the ones that I'm most... It's hard. I mean, it's hard. One that's really fun to play, and I'm hoping will have an influence on you know, future stuff that we're working on is um, uh, Drain the Coffers, which is a really short song. Hmm. And, but I really like, it's fucking, really fucking fun to play live, especially when I can work feedback off of the amp. And there's parts on it where Garrett and I are playing off of each other and just interacting. It's like, it's, it's like a way that, rhythmically we can like have a like a dialogue back and forth it's it's really fun all right yeah probably drain the coffers all right that's the fifth track i think right is that the start of of the second side yeah okay so so it'd be sixth oh sixth okay sorry all right well then uh the next song hag me yes yes Not, Um, not a great song i don't think like it's good. Really? Well, I mean, compared to some of the songs on this album, I feel like this is maybe one of the right, lesser. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love the way the whole album is laid out where you know, there's dynamics within song selection. Mm-hmm. You know, the the sequence. Honey Bucket, yeah, the sequence. Honey Bucket's pretty fucking ripping. And then Hag Me is all of a sudden s- slow. Hmm. And you got the feedback churning and listening to the tones of the guitar just blossom and swell. And it doesn't jump out as, say, memorable as some of the popular songs on the album, but I think it's one of the songs in the album that make the bigger picture of the album what it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Meaning, like, with, if that song wasn't on the album, it wouldn't be. I mean, obviously, it would be the same album, but I think it's a critical part for the the big picture of the album. Right, right, yeah. It kind of uh, adds to the whole feel of it. Um, well, so Buzz said that um, this is one of the few songs that he actually kind of addressed the lyrics of one of the songs. Which, honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't. I don't know what to make of any of the lyrics of any of Melvin's songs, really. Like, I've never paid attention to them in the past, and I've listened to a bunch of their records. Uh, Even recently, preparing for tonight, I listened to a bunch more just to kind of like, just to even see. It's like, okay, well, how much do lyrics really matter to this band? And I don't think it matters at all, really. Yeah, I mean, not lyrics in in terms of the words. Messaging. the messaging like they're not trying to tell a story yeah um but you know the the again something that that i pull very much from the melvins and other other artists do it as well where it's like the 
the pronunciation and the cadence and the space the words take up hmm. is of utmost importance and what the words actually are is way you know way lower on the hierarchy there that um yeah for 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 me vocals are i think of them almost more like a another instrument so the the way things fill in the space and then rhythmically sound are very important so yeah um yeah like i mean similar to what you're saying i i i've never i think early on was just like i don't i don't even care what the fucking words are i just like the way it sounds and i'm i'm getting a message about the song and because i'm you know some people could consider the the lyrics nonsensical they they're more invested in in the music in the bigger picture so right yeah so more almost more important in that sense <clears throat> um well so buzz he says, says you, you were saying he, he did have a message on that on that song well i mean so what he says is that uh buzz says the lyrics are essentially saying if if you tell me what to do and i don't like it you're not gonna like what you get uh just leave me just leave me alone i'll be fine and you'll be fine too so yeah. uh I don't know. To me, that kind of reads like like he gives no fucks. Yeah, I, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so my question to you is: uh, is how is your fuck stash these days? <laughs> how is my what? Your fuck stash my... these days. That that sounds a little suggestive, but what what I'm saying is is like you know, do you do you give any fucks these days? I mean, yes and no. You know what I mean? Like depends on what depends on yeah it depends on what um when it comes to my music you know i want to play the music that excites me and keeps me engaged and and present with what we're doing um you know and i want people to like it but long time ago became fine with 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 knowing that most people aren't gonna like what i do musically um hmm. so i'm more interested in just making the music that i that i like and enough you know there are people that enjoy it so that makes me fucking plenty happy right um okay now say raising my son i give a lot of fucks oh yeah you know? sure yeah. i have kids too so i i understand that 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 sentiment yeah very different i i, I definitely uh say you know give no fucks in a lot of things but yeah when it comes to them it's it's very different yeah exactly all right well um with that being said, the next song is Set Me Straight. Now, yeah. this one, maybe even more so than Hag Me, this one is kind of the weird one, isn't it? Would you agree with that? It's, yeah, yeah, I think the, again, the vocals, um, the way they're delivered, 
jumps out for sure. And then I'm trying to remember if it was, I think the, for me, this song is about the vocals and the vocals have a very unique presence and delivery on them that, that is strange. And, mm-hmm. and I think hints that they're a little weird. Hmm. Okay. Um, I was wondering if it maybe seems a little immature for the Melvins, especially at this point in their career. This is their fifth album, right? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, it's goofy, but it's it's fun and playful. Um, I remember reading somewhere that this body of work was that some of the songs they had written a long time ago that they weren't all fresh brand new songs that some of them were like songs they'd written the first year they were together as a band so Mm -hmm. that your observation there that might i mean that might be pretty accurate because i think a couple of the songs were for them had been around and laying in their back pocket for quite a while yeah well that's actually i i did learn that i did find that out yeah because uh so uh the quote here is the buzz saying uh i was really new at playing guitar and that was one of the first songs i ever wrote oh damn well there you go yeah i mean he he continues it says uh, i still like it weirdly enough i might have been playing guitar for a couple of years when i wrote that i mean i remember the the lyrics definitely came off as sassy yeah i thought it was fun Okay. You know, there, there's few songs that they have where I can pull out like a quote. And I think that's the one that's the um, I could be hell without sex appeal. And that's just a fun lyric. It's mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely like after after I did the research and I, I read that quote, I mean, it kind of put it into perspective for me being like, oh, yeah, this is kind of like a it kind of seems like a like a you know, a young song, like a song that somebody that's just learning how to write wrote. You know, it seems simple and, you know, semi-immature. I mean, it's not embarrassingly, but it's, you know, it's simple. Now I got to go back and listen to it with fresh perspective. Right, right. (laughs) Well, so uh, my question to you is, uh, when did you start writing songs and what was the first song you wrote? I think the first song I wrote where I, put together, you know, I started playing bass, would come up with different riffs and rhythms. The first song I wrote was on a nylon string guitar hmm. that I found in the dumpster when I was probably, probably like 19. Hmm. Uh, I have notes and lyrics somewhere in a notebook, but it was pretty, Pretty basic. It was probably four, maybe four chords. <laughs> okay, that's uh, that's 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 like actually kind of impressive for a, for a first song for a, you know a, a budding songwriter. I would, like I said, I was ambitious. I just wanted to soak all of it up and just learn everything about all of it, any, anything that I could. Hmm. And I mean, how long how long had you been playing by that point? Do you think? You know, maybe six months. Oh, okay. So very, very fresh. 
Yeah. But again, you know, also within the first year of playing, I started messing around with recording and then tracked down all the recording studios in town and begged them to let me sit in on a session, you know, told them I'd keep my mouth shut and get coffee just because I wanted to see how they did it all. So I was, I was very, I was a very dry sponge eager to soak everything up. Hmm. And it was funny because so you already kind of you kind of immediately gravitated towards like audio engineering and, and kind of music production. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, at the time I was in uh, I was studying um, visual arts, painting and drawing. But I would say a year or two into the program knew that I wanted to pursue music and, and recording and working with bands. But also didn't want to give up what I'd started. It was important for me to finish the, the, the program, the arts program that I'd started. Um, just in mm -hmm. my head, I was like, the second I graduated, I'm gonna go find a studio to work at. Yeah. Which I okay. did. Cool. Um, let's see. <clears throat> let's uh, move on to the next song, Sky Pup. Yeah. This song for me would be one that was a cue that this was a different kind of band. Hmm. Okay. And a, a strange, weird kind of song. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the, the bass line made me think of a drunk bass player playing on the Vegas Strip in like a dark, seedy lounge. Hmm. And it was, you know, for me, that's that's was an oddball song that indicated to me these guys are a little different. Yeah. And I like that. I like that. Okay. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, this is an interesting song. Um, this is uh, the only song to have Kurt Cobain perform the guitar part. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Did you? I mean, actually, we, we haven't even talked about that at all, which is actually kind of great. But, uh, you know, the the um, the uh, connection or the, the part that Kurt Cobain played in, in the making of this album. Yeah. Which... Uh, Unfortunately, Sorry, from which, from what I've heard, unfortunately, wasn't um, wasn't a whole lot. But right, is what it is. Yeah, I mean, um, kind of the reason why I'm happy that we haven't really touched upon it at all because it's really it doesn't seem all that important to the album. Um, yeah, supposedly he was a producer, but I mean, it doesn't seem like he really contributed much production wise. I mean, like. Not like, not in the sense of an actual, like a true producer. Well, I mean, that's the thing is like the term producer can mean so many different things. Like there's, you know, the big gun producers in the fifties and sixties and early seventies, where it was like, they were like writing the songs and lining up the backing band for the artist. And then as things move forward, the term producer seemed to evolve into more of just a person hired by the label that was responsible to deliver a good product for the label with the mm -hmm. artist as far as yeah. just managing time and scheduling and just like a project manager almost. Hmm. And then eighties and nineties and definitely two thousands and moving forward producer turned into a role where it's somebody that's manning the the controls on the on the desk and picking mics and and doing everything and, and you know basically engineering so 
the role at this point when someone says producer can mean it can mean so many different things sure i i feel like now more probably more recently like maybe the past 10 years it's more of like the ideas person the person that's helping kind of form formulate uh structure to some of the songs maybe you know maybe it's not even as involved as that sometimes like in this case with Kurt Cobain, it was just like a uh, simple suggestion of like, I like those lyrics. Those are great lyrics. Like print those lyrics, you know, yeah. that's, the, that's yeah. it. <laughs> totally. I uh, mean, when I've worked in the studio and invited friends to help with the process and maybe offered them, you know, a producer credit for me, it's always been help me step out of my bubble. Like, is that take of the three is that the good take or is this the good take or now that we're really getting into it does that song need you know the whatever the fourth verse or do we cut that hmm. you know kind of it's like it's there but um kind of give someone to give fresh perspective to what you are kind of in the bubble with where you just need some fresh perspective sure yeah <clears throat> as far as this song is concerned, you know, the Kurt Cobain performing the guitar part I had mentioned, um, also interesting throughout has been uh, Dale's choices of percussion to add to these songs. And that's like throughout the record, not just this song, but but on this song, there's uh, definitely a, a notable um, choice of like certain percussion that he uses. Yeah. He's yeah. always he's some interesting, you know, clanky percussion. I hear all over the place nowadays, but back then, to my ear and my experiences at the time, were unique to to his style. Yeah, I would I would say so. I mean, like wood blocks. It seems. Um, what is that symbol called? That that weird sharp symbol that just kind of that's kind of dead. It just kind of sounds like a almost like a a whip cracking. Uh, whip whip cracking. There's a couple different names. I mean, there's there's you know there's like the China symbol that's just a garbage sound. Like sounds like a tin. You know, basically, sounds like a aluminum lid off a garbage can. It's like, like a really yeah. quick, decay, right? Really brash, but really quick sounding. Yeah, like he uses one of those or something like that. Yeah, and I've seen him use like you know, I've seen him take like two broken symbols and stack them on top of each other again, so that there's just a a dead, quick decay, but just kind of a you know, right? So it's uh, bright, but it just it, it doesn't it, ring out. Yeah, deadens it kind of deadens the the highs but it's you know an interesting kind of interesting texture and sound yeah yeah uh it always sticks out to me whenever i hear it um but so do, does garrett use any odd percussion on on the record not on the record recently um we've started experimenting a little bit with tambourine like bells on the on the hi-hat stand um and some kind of trash crash symbols um some different things uh he's definitely yeah i'm getting ahead of myself we got some songs coming up that um have some other things but on this record um pretty straightforward yeah I mean, okay there's a song too where i think we added a shaker you know just really subtle right okay so 
I don't have much left for this record. Uh, I was going not that not that these are bad songs or anything, but I was going to skip Joan of Arc and uh, Teat just because I didn't have anything. Joan of Arc. <laughs> just because I don't have anything for it, not because it's a bad song. Oh, yeah. that, I mean, for me, that that one. Um, yeah, I love. For me, I think the strongest songs are Night Goat, Joan of Arc, and Kabeg, hmm. but. Um, but that's just me. Okay. Well, seeing as how you said it, Copake, that would be the next song we were going to talk about. Uh, yeah. And is it Copake or is it Copachi? I always thought it was Copachi. Oh, okay. Um, but I recently went through and was trying to figure it out. And I've heard us call it Copake. So I guess that's what it is. Hmm. Okay. I heard him say the opposite, actually. He said it was Copachi. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it just depends well, see, on the Well, see, that's day. the thing. Like, like, there's been times where I've tried to look up lyrics in the past because I'm just curious. And it's like, every reference point says something totally fucking different. And I'm like, well, what? you know, there's a lot of different points of reference out there. Sure, sure. And that kind of, like, is what leads me to believe. Like, I don't know the Melvins all that well. I'm not I'm not a huge fan. I do like them. Um, but uh, But, like, especially listening to, like, interviews with Buzz, I'm just like... He it kind of sounds like he's just trying to take the piss out of some things. Like at certain times, like like just if you catch him on the right day, he'll just kind of like just mess with somebody, just you know, make a joke out of something instead of like kind of giving you like a direct fact or something. Yeah. I don't know. He's a hard read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be fascinating to spend time with him in person. But I think I would assume that's part of his character. I mean the. The first time that I saw them live, I remember they, I mean, this would have been around 99. Hmm. They all came out in uh, trench coats and cranked up, you know, their amplifiers, you know, big expressive strum and letting it just swell and feed back. And then they went and set the guitars against the amplifiers and walked off stage for like, it probably wasn't that long, but it felt like felt like thirty minutes. It was probably like ten, yeah. But definitely, you know, I think that's part of the thing is is, is fucking with you a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, challenging and, uh, in, in a way too. Yeah, challenging you, fucking with you, seeing how you're going to respond a little bit. Hmm. Um, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Okay, well, well, so so Copache, Copache, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. Um, Buzz has said the main riff uh, is a wipe, wipers ripoff. Accidentally, wasn't on purpose. Um, Interesting. While the guitar solo takes elements from his love of the ventures. I could totally see that. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, we're speaking about Melvins today, but uh, what other bands or music inspire you that you don't think are obvious? I'm a big LCD sound system fan. Hmm. Okay. I'm a big Radiohead fan. Um, I mean, there's a lot of others that are all over the map that are more, more, you know, classic, you know, like, like David Bowie, David Bowie probably inspires a lot of people. Hmm. Yeah, of course. one artist that I didn't get turned on to until a few years ago and had a strong impact was um, 
Scott Walker, which oh. is yeah. to me very different sounding music and, and and very you know experimental and avant garde and and that stuff is just fucking beautiful hmm. and definitely not rock music, you know. Yeah, I can't say that I know it too well. I know that I've I've I know that I used to be in a band with a guy that was a big Scott Walker fan and he put it on a few times so I can't even tell you what it was. So I know like it's just one of those things I know I've heard it but it hasn't stuck in stuck with me yet and I and I need to actually experiment with that. I so, you should check out uh, Scott Walker or the album is just Scott 3. That for me that's the that's the one. Hmm. Um, but all of his work is is not always easily palatable, but fascinating and, and very moving, at least for me. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to have to remind myself to get into that because uh, I've definitely been meaning to for a long time. Uh, you said one weird inspiration that's not obvious was Radiohead. And it's funny that you said that because thinking of the last song on your record... Uh, when the when the horns come in, Radiohead came to my mind. Oh, cool! Like uh, I guess I was probably thinking like um, the national anthem off of uh, Kid A. Oh, okay. You know, because like they had yeah. that horn section in there. I mean, it's not it's not exact. I mean, it, it actually the the horns on the W you know also brought to mind like the Beatles. Like uh, you know, uh, what's okay, that song? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like it's got a little bit of that that feel to it, yeah. and I thought that was that was interesting, interesting choice for for a band like Bronson Arm. Yeah, um, we're. I mean, one thing that is interesting about Bronson Arm, and uh, you know, it's it's myself and the drummer Garrett Yates, um, is we we definitely come from very different music um, backgrounds. You know, he grew up on a lot of kind of hardcore stuff. Um, hmm. and he's a little bit younger than myself. So he, you know, Melvin's were before his time. Well, I mean, Melvin's are still active, but he, they were on his radar. Right. Um, so we're bringing different things to the table and he brings things that I wouldn't have thought of. Um, and I'm, I'm sure vice versa. So yeah, that's one thing that I, enjoy about it is is um you know when i've played in other bands where you all have the exact same where you're coming from the same place sometimes you have to like push to break out of that hmm. whereas working with garrett i'm at times trying to pull him into what i'm doing and like maybe if you just did something kind of like this and you know he'll meet me halfway but hmm. I think it's I think it's part of what um, makes uh, you know the differences and what we're bringing to the table makes Bronson Arm what it is. Sure, that makes sense. Well, uh, the the what you found uh, is working very well. It seems. Um, looking forward to what you guys do in the future. I know that you guys have already like working on some new stuff, which uh, obviously is a ways away, but good to know. Yeah, it'll be some time, but we got um, we have another record recorded we're just mixing it and it'll be a while till it comes out but it um you know we're, we're going to be making up for lost time right yeah i mean and, and so you know and this record just came out 
<clears throat> and so you're going to want to tour. You're probably going to be touring this record, right? Yes. Um, you know, we both have families. Um, so for us, touring is doing three-day weekend things once a month. And then a couple times this year, we're going to get out and move around, you know, get out of our region for maybe a week or two. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, and that's where we are for now. But yeah, we're going to be getting out and sharing it as much as possible and just, just having fun. Yeah. Great, man. That sounds awesome. Um, I, I, I can live vicariously through you. I'm kind of, I kind of aspire for the same thing at some point, maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, I know it's hard with the family, the kids, it's, uh, it's hard to get away, you know? So yeah. if you can do it, if you can do it at all, it's a, it's a great feat. It's a challenge, but it's, it's worth it. Yeah. Well, um, so, I mean, that concludes the record. I don't have anything else to, to mention about, uh, the last two songs, Pearl Bomb or Spread, Spread Eagle Beagle. It, again, they're, I think they're intentionally just oddball, fun, fucking around. Yeah. But again, I think part of what makes, makes it Houdini. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Thank you for, for turning me on to this record. Uh, I, I, I was not familiar with this completely. I, I think I maybe knew a little bit of it. I think I maybe tried listening to it at one point, but it's definitely going to um, stick as far as, uh, you know, uh, referenceable Melvin's discography. Yeah. Yeah, for the Melvin record. All right, man. Well, great. Well, thank you for talking to me about it. Uh, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Vinyl Envision is a Psychic Static production. Theme song written and performed by Jeff Robbins of 123 Astronaut.